Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the Bundesliga podcast from the Football Grad Network. My name is Manuel Fied and as always I'm joined by Stefan Bienkowski. Stefan, how's it going? Yeah, I'm doing very, very well. I've uh, thoroughly enjoyed the football um, at the weekend, the Champions League football before that. Uh, and now I'm severely depressed because it's now International League, which I've never really enjoyed that much. But anyway, I've thoroughly enjoyed the Bundesliga and can't wait to get stuck into it. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to this podcast too. And um, people may have noticed that we, we skipped last week. Uh, I was traveling, but also there's been some changes. Uh, I think we, we need to address this, right? Both Bryce Dunn and Chris Williams have left the show. Um For private reasons, both of them basically moving on with their with their respective lives, which you know is outside of football, and um, they're still very much listening to this podcast. So, Chris and Bryce, hello, how's it going? Um, five years we've done this show together, and I think um, you know the gegen pressing podcast is now changing a bit. We're going to see how what the future holds and see how we're moving the show forward. But thankfully, Stefan, you've been jumping in quite a bit and become a regular on the show. So I think the two of us are going to carry it onwards and forwards. And I'm very much looking forward to that. So yes, uh, we skipped last week because we're trying to figure some stuff out. We're going to skip next week because international break, we just don't record. And then, you know, very much going to continue the show as much as possible. But uh, because of this break, Stefan, I feel like we have a ton to cover. And so we're going to focus on what I think is now the top four in, in German football. Um, people may agree or disagree. You can very much reach out to us on Twitter or anywhere else and voice your anger if there is one. But let's start with Borussia Dortmund. And I actually been somewhat impressed by Borussia Dortmund. I know they lost that the match that now seems like eons ago, um, <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, right, uh, to Gladbach. But then they picked up a 1-0 win against Besiktas. Um, and they picked up a 2-1 win against Augsburg, all those games without Erling Haaland. And while the game against Gladbach, Erling Haaland was very much missing. I think, and I'm curious what you think about this, he wasn't as much missed in the last two games. Yes, their goal output has been less, but defensively, they've been a lot more solid. And I feel like almost that there is, and this is probably a necessary step anyways, that they've Marco Rose's tactics becoming more adaptive two circumstances when Holland isn't on the pitch. Yeah, I think I would probably go along with that for the most part. Uh, I'm maybe not as optimistic about them without Haaland. I mean, at the end of the day, he's obviously one of the best players in the world right now, so any team would miss him. Uh, and I think Dortmund have kind of huffed and puffed for the most part without. Uh, you know, they have created chances. They have looked good as a whole. And I, and I agree with you in that regard because... As you say, like they have that kind of system where it's almost like a four-four-two diamond. Uh, they have this kind of really ten tenacious midfield. I think that's probably the kind of key to this new formation. It really gets the best out of Jude Bellingham. I think he's just been outstanding in this game uh, in, in this season. I think Axel Witzel's looked much better as well. 
Um, and Julian Brandt's one who really intrigues me as well. On paper, his stats aren't great. He's only got like a couple of goals and assists. But, you know, saying that, though, I think he's already halfway to last season's tally uh, of goals, which by no means is impressive. But he, he, he intrigues me because he's kind of like, he seems to be one of these players that can kind of fill in the cracks at Dortmund. Um, and even though he did that last season uh, under Lucien Favre, which without really doing much at all, I, I, I think he actually almost, he, well, he did almost lose his place. He basically, you know, club uh, maybe didn't ever get to the point of genuinely considering selling him, but there was constant rumours about him leaving. And that was maybe just the fact that um, he wasn't getting good game time under Favre. And even when he was coming on, he just looked lost. In comparison, this season, he can kind of slot into that midfield trio. And because... Fitzel looks more composed at defensive midfield because Jude Bellingham is kind of running up and down the pitch, kind of scooping up loose balls and things. I think Brandt's been given more license to get forward uh, and he scored some good goals. He obviously got a goal against Augsburg. I thought it was a tremendous goal. Um, and, you know, he's kind of, he's probably the best player that kind of epitomizes this kind of system that all the players are kind of buying into under Marco Rosa. And I think the system's worked well in replacing Haaland, but I still think they kind of lack that clinical finishing of his, and they also kind of lack a presence in the box to an extent. I think Malin's done very well. He started scoring some goals, which is impressive, but I think Royce has maybe... He, 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 he's kind of become a bit more receded because he hasn't got Haaland to play off to the same extent. So, you know, not bad by any means, and they've picked up two wins in the last two games, so that's good. But I just felt maybe in that Augsburg game, if you had Haaland in there, he's probably going to create a chance or two on his own, and that game probably finishes like 3 or 4-1 rather than just 2-1, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think what I liked about, in particular the win against Besiktas, is that they were actually able to close shop and never really looked in danger of of losing losing that game. So in, in that regard... I think I'm seeing an improvement in the defensive game. Um, of course, I, I by no means do I want to say that, um, look, Haaland, <laughs> is, he is probably the best or one of the two best number nines on the planet at the moment. The other one playing also in the Bundesliga, right? And his name is Robert Lewandowski. By no means we want to ignore Robert Lewandowski and the amount of goals he's been scoring. Because he's been scoring a lot. But I do think it's really, really difficult to replace someone like Haaland. And I think that Wobbler against Gladbach was very much like, okay, well, we are, out with, we are without Haaland. And we don't really know how much longer they are going to be without Haaland because he does have these persistent knee problems, right? Mm. So um, I do think that it, it is actually to get those results now, to carry them into the international break. And I mean, we'll get to this later, but also to close the gap to Bayern essentially to just one point again, right? I think that's pretty meaningful. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how they're going to use that time during the international break to A, lick wounds, B, work on some important things as well, especially with Mats Hummels being rested by Hansi Flick. I think that's that's a big one, right? People saying, oh, Hans, Mats Hummels hasn't been called up to Germany's national team. Um, he's no longer on Hansi Flick's plans. That's, that's not the case at all. I, a lot of it has to do with the fact that he has... You know, he had an injury at the start of the season, couldn't play, and now it's just only come back. And for Dortmund, I think for Mats Hummels not to play for Germany three games in the World Cup qualifiers, having a rest for two, for what's well, almost two weeks, right? I think it's pretty big for them. And I I, I think looking at all that, um, I think there's a lot of positive. I mean, 
it wasn't fireworks, but I personally think that there there is quite quite a lot of positives to take away from those Borussia Dortmund performances. And I'm really curious to see what we're going to see after the international break. And I think sometimes that second international break, coaches really like that time because it gives them an opportunity to work on, on those smaller details. And if you are a new coach, I think that is when you say, okay, well, we have some players that are here. Let's work with them and get them up to speed. Um, Stefan, another coach who's probably quite happy about this international break is another new coach at what is still a top four Bundesliga team, uh, in my opinion, even though they're not in the top four at the moment. And that's very much under fire, Jesse Marsh. And I watched that game against Bochum and there was a tweet that from Tobias Escher, who's, who's a journalist, German journalist, who I think a lot of people are quite aware of his tactics block Spielverlagen. And he said, what often happens in Julian Nagelsmann teams when he when he hands over a team, the negative stays and the positive sometimes leaves, which is the positive in this case was lots of play, uh, lots of possession. But one of the negatives of Nagelsmann teams has always been uh, chance conversion, right? And he mm-hmm. said, like, that's pretty much the case that what it looks like Leipzig right now, at the end, a 3-0 result, uh, week prior, 6-0 against Hertha Berlin. Those two results, we said there's a week the two weeks ago they, those are the games that they have to win right they have to very much win those games they won those games with a nine to zero goal differential i personally think that's very good but if you just take those two separate games on their own i would say okay marsh is turning it around but then there's also that unfortunate result against club Bruges. so when you take those three results now two very good results in the bundesliga one devastating result in the champions league that probably takes them out of that group already what do we make of that? Yeah, it's really difficult because, as you say, in the Bundesliga, you, you would think, right, something has finally clicked here. Um, but that, I, I, and it's even harder for me to say because I actually missed the Club Bruges game. So maybe let you con- comment on what specifically went wrong there. But having watched the Balkan game, it, 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 it did really strike me as a team that were determined to kind of keep that good run of form going even if it's just in the Bundesliga maybe it was a reaction to what happened in the in the, in the Champions League because they came out the, they came out the blocks just firing all cylinders which I think I've confused two metaphors there but um, you know they were all over Bochum they had a penalty call within about two or three minutes and they'd, but before that it even forced a great save I think uh, from Lyman if I'm not mistaken so you know and then it just continued and continued and they applied more and more pressure and then because it's Leipzig they can then bring on guys like Andre Silva and who obviously got a good goal and an assist as well I think so you know it lo- they looked like a team who were determined to kind of make sure they made the most of that game um, which you know as we said in the podcast a couple of weeks ago was really vital because you kind of look at what they've got coming up next they've got Freiburg who you know third or fourth best team in the Bundesliga so far this season then they have PSG, um, and those are two teams that could really cause quite a lot of damage if, if, if Leipzig aren't careful. Marsh has probably already written off the Champions League. Okay, fair enough. Uh, you know, Leipzig don't have a great history or prestige in that competition, so there's not a huge amount of pressure on him to get out of that group. But he, he still has to make sure his team don't get battered in it if uh, alongside maybe some poor performances in the Bundesliga. So I think there are definitely things beginning to show. I think Nkunku has been outstanding. Uh, I don't know if it's because of Marsh or just because some players have got out of the way for him, but he's been outstanding. Uh, and, you know, there are bits and pieces there that have been put together, but 
I think this is maybe what we're going to see from Leipzig this season. It is probably going to be a transition period. They probably are going to finish outside the top four unless they can really put together a run of form. But I just look at like their run of fixtures coming up and you know, I, I don't see anywhere where they can make a clear run of games, which, as we said, was why it was so important for them to pick up uh, all six points against Bochum and Hertha. Yeah, I'm not not sure I would call them outside of the top four just yet. I, I agree with you. I think the Champions League group is probably done. I mean, they had they had to essentially win both games against Bruges and pick up um, a win or two against the other two, right? Mm. And it's sort of what Gladbach did last year, right? They they smashed Schachter Donetsk twice. That was their six points. And then you just hope to pick up some points on the side. And then that's how you get through and out of the group. So for them to win both games against Bruges was very much crucial. And they didn't. I mean, they that one loss already um, jeopardizes that European campaign very much. And I'm, you know, I, I personally find it frustrating when, when Bundesliga teams go on like say, okay, well, our European campaign is done um, at this early stage because it doesn't look good for the Bundesliga overall. But I get it if you're Jesse Marsh and you look at this group and said, well, whatever, you're going to get out of this. And I think their focus very much has to be to get back into the Champions League next year. I don't think like even though uh, Bayern did drop points now, I'm not sure they have enough in them to go back into the title challenger position. And Christopher Nkuku has been great. I like the fact that Guardiola and Sima Khan played, and I think he's finally getting the best out of those two players. He's also gone back to 3-4-3, very much the mm. formation that, that Nagelsmann is playing, right? And or played and uh, I think he sort of realized that maybe he asked for too much early on and he's sort of converting back to what was previously worked on and using the players that were given to him and I think too to sit out Silva take the pressure off him bring him on and then Silva did you know he he was the can opener against Bochum he did score that first goal it wasn't pretty but he did score it and I think for a striker, sometimes you just need to, you just need to get that goal in, and you know, um, then to sort of unlock it, uh, so to speak. But I'm not sure I, I'm going to call him out completely out of that that Bundesliga contention or the top four contention quite yet. I, I think I need to see a bigger body of work going mm. forward. I was only thing I was really going to add to that is, and you actually maybe convinced me as you were talking there is just that unlike other teams. Leipzig still have quite a lot of players to kind of come back. You know, Andre Silva has been kind of dropped to the bench. I think this is maybe partly why they've maybe got things back on track because Jesse Marsh has realised he can't just kind of ram Silva and Schobesly straight into this team. He's kind of, and I think I kind of said this in a recent podcast, he's gone back to playing Poulsen and Forsberg. And even though maybe they don't get as many goals as and they maybe don't look as good on paper, they obviously know how to play together. The, the team know how to play off them, and Kunku knows how to play off them. So they, they have looked better when they've kind of stuck with those players. The awkward thing is that they've obviously got these tremendous attacking players on the bench, um, and that might end up playing into Leipzig's hand maybe in like the second half of the season when Silva, Schobislai, Danny Olmo, who's one of the best attacking midfielders in Europe, or one of the most promising ones, these guys haven't even had a real sniff at it yet this season. So... You know, maybe their form's a bit iffy right now. Maybe they're kind of lingering mid-table. But, you know, if I can kind of almost contradict my earlier point, they have got that strength and depth uh, and a really good players who could step in and help them maybe push on in the second half of the season. Yeah, and I think what also helps is that 
they're not the only teams in Germany dropping points. And um, we're now on match day seven. I remember many seasons, Stefan, where on match day seven, the biggest team in Germany would have 21 points, but mm. they don't. Bayern Munich at 16. You know, they are in a group with four other teams. Like right now, Leipzig in eighth and Bayern in first are only separated by six points. And that sounds like a lot, but it's, I kind of want to make this transition to Bayern now because if we had recorded the show a week ago and I seen Bayern twice in Germany while I was there, I think we would have been pretty downtrodden about the Bundesliga title race and where things are. But now we're talking about Leipzig just being six points back despite a horrible start to their season mm. to Bayern Munich. And I look at this Bayern Munich side and say, well, they, they, they destroyed Bochum in a game that should have probably been 8-0, 9-0, 10-0. They were man down against Fürth and they still won 3-1. Although I did see some moments there where I'm like, okay, well, they are... There is instances here where they are vulnerable and that vulnerability then comes to forefront against Eintracht Frankfurt, a game that they do lose. And I don't think anyone expected that at this stage. And that's, you know, seven games in, they've already dropped five points. And yeah. that is in context of a conversation where we were on this, the last time we did the show, we were saying, who's going to beat them? Because... It's not like that they just devastated Bundesliga opposition. They destroyed Barcelona 3-0 in a game that could have been easily 8-0. I mean, anyone who watched that game, you know, that, that, that was there was a difference in class. I mean, I didn't see a big difference between Barcelona and Bochum. Then did that Dynamo Kiev game where they essentially did whatever they wanted to do against the champions of Ukraine. I mean, there's another game that could have ended up by a lot more. But then you see the first well-structured opposition in the Bundesliga after a long time, since first time since Gladbach, and whoop de whoops points are gone again. So I, I'm left a little confused at the moment on what to think of all of this. Because on the one hand, I'm seeing a Bayern side that when they're on and they have an opponent that isn't well-structured, they will score goals like fun. Right. And it doesn't matter who that opponent is and it doesn't matter in what competition. But at the same time, and I can't believe I'm saying this after having written an article just two weeks ago saying that the, the league, they're going to dominate this league at will. Then they drop points against Frankfurt. And I'm thinking, oh, wait, maybe they're not quite as dominant as we think. And I, I don't know how you feel about this, but I'm a little confused right now on what, what to make of this. Yeah, you know, I, I was thinking about this today, actually, after watching that Frankfurt game, which I put on TV on Sunday afternoon. I put my feet up on the couch and I thought, I actually started reading a magazine because I thought this is just going to be a standard Bayern game. They're going to absolutely thump Frankfurt. It's going to finish about 3 or 4-0 and that'll be that. And they did thump Frankfurt. I mean, let's, let's, let's not get away from that. They absolutely hammered Frankfurt on that pitch. They, they managed to get 11 shots on target to Frankfurt's three um, and Kevin Trapp made possibly three or four of the best saves of his life uh, yes, on Sunday afternoon so you know any other given day maybe Frank maybe Bayern do win that game three or four nil but what really kind of stuck out to me when I thought about it was something that Nagelsmann said 
maybe a week or two into the season when he said, you know, you have to bear in mind, and this was this was at the start of the season when everyone assumed that Bayern were going to have a, a well, not everyone maybe, but people who think they know what they're talking about, like me, assumed that Bayern were going to have a very bumpy start to the season because Nagelsmann was having to make a step up to this new level, players have moved on, blah, 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 blah. And instead, they kind of just, they just kind of, I mean, and, and obviously the, the opening game against Gladbach, but they drew. So there was that kind of suggestion that this was going to be a really tough season for them. Instead, they just kind of pushed on. And it, and, and it was almost as if um, they, they, they were just kind of carrying on from last season. And what Nagelsmann said was before he, they, they kind of pushed on was, you know, when, after, I, think it was, I think it was after the Gladbach game, maybe, I can't remember, or maybe it was after the Super Cup game. He said, this team won't really be mine until about Christmas time. You know, my tactics, my formations and stuff, these these things won't really begin to take effect until December. And we, I think a lot of people, including myself, kind of forgot about him saying that because Bayern went on, to, went on quite a good run. You know, they beat Cologne, they beat Hertha, absolutely thumped Leipzig, absolutely thumped Barcelona. And then, as you say, you know, they go a goal down against Gord Firth and still win, et cetera, et cetera. And... I think we all assumed, okay, Nagelsmann is actually a very good coach. He's he's managed to walk straight into this team. He's managed to get Leroy Sané playing well. And Nicolas Silla looks kind of back to his best. And Robert Lewandowski is still going great goals, blah, 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 blah. But I do wonder now, with hindsight, if this Bayern team who's, that have been winning for the last two months are really just in kind of um, autopilot mode from last season it's still Hansi Flick's team still Hansi Flick's formation for the most part and I do wonder if when a team that were were able to stop Bayern from doing their plan A which is what Frankfurt did on Sunday Nagelsmann didn't really know what to do he brought Sabitzer on and he kind of played him as a right-sided wing-back of sorts and you know he threw Chopa Moting on and hoped for the best and then Musiala came on probably far too late but it, it, it didn't seem to me like they, it, it was as if you know Bayern expected to win that game things didn't go to plan and Nagelsmann didn't really have any idea how to change that now I don't, I don't want to be too harsh on him because as I said a minute ago Bayern should have won that game but I do wonder if this is proof that this isn't actually yet Nagelsmann's side and this is still a Hansi Flick team that just know how to win games and they've got enough players they've got you know Goretzka Lewandowski uh, Manuel Neuer etc etc to, they can win games without Nagelsmann really having to tinker with too many things. The only other thing I'd maybe add on this game is that if any team in the Bundesliga are trying to figure out a weakness to get at this Bayern team, I think Frankfurt made a very good point of it. And that was Kostic basically standing on Open Meccano's toes for the entire game. Because I think if there was one player who undoubtedly looked quite poor in this match, it was Open Meccano because Bayern were pushing up so much that whenever the ball did eventually from time to time bounce out of the Frankfurt half, it was Kostic against Upamecano. It's basically one-on-one, this one-on-one kind of battle for the whole second half. Kostic routinely got the better of him. And that's eventually basically what happened for the for the second goal. I think it was also what maybe what led to the first goal as well. I know the first goal was a corner, sorry. But f- throughout the whole second half, Kostic just had the whole of the Bayern half to run into and Upamecano couldn't deal with him at all. So, you know, Try not to be too harsh with McCann because he's still a young player, but there are certain expectations at Bayern Munich. And as a central defender, he's going to have to learn how to really... And, and Boateng was so good at this, he would just usher strikers almost off the pitch whenever they did get the ball in their half. 
And I thought Pimacano really struggled with that. So that might be a kind of tactic for smaller teams that do have to put 10 men behind the ball going forward because uh, you get one-on-one with Pimacano, I actually thought you have a player like Kostic, you can cause a lot of damage. And that's that's ultimately how Frankfurt were able to almost steal this game, if that's not too harsh on them. Gladbach did the same with Marcus Turam in the second half. When he came on, he really put the game to Pomecano. Great, great point. And it was exactly the same outcome. Was Well, not exactly the same. It was a 1-1 draw rather than a 2-1 win. But um, I 100% agree with you. I think that, that there are weaknesses in this, in this side. There aren't many. <laughs> I think top <laughs> to bottom, that's probably... I, I personally think, um, having watched quite a lot of the Champions League games, I I think Bayern are the favorites to win that competition because I think top to bottom they probably have the best eleven, and mm. it's also who they can bring on, right? That makes them so dangerous. I mean, how many teams around Europe can bring someone like Jamal Musiala on, right? I, I think he he slipped. Jamal Musiala is a starting player in any other Champions League team, and he isn't at Bayern right now. And mm. even I mean. Can we can we talk about the, can, can we talk about that for a second and just yeah. maybe compare it to a player who's we might talk about in a minute? If you look at the way that Florian Verts is just absolutely flying yeah. this season, I mean maybe I've just have I just maybe taken your point straight from out your mouth there. The way that Verts is just he 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 is the man of the moment right now in the Bundesliga because a Leverkusen he starts every game and he is the focal point of that team. Musiala has he's, he's proved to be a great impact sub at Bayern, but. Was there any real reason why he couldn't have started instead of Serge Gnabry on Sunday? I mean, the quality is the, the the big problem there is the quality. I mean, I personally think I'm a huge Jamal Musiala fan. I think anyone who follows my Twitter knows this, and I I, I like Florian Wirtz too. But I, for me, Jamal Musiala has a quality that I haven't seen in a young player since Thomas Müller has come out as a young player at Bayern Munich. The, he kind of reminds me of that. He's there is something chaotic about him and that's a skill that you just can't learn right chaos like to create that sort of chaos and unpredictability is um i mean we're, we're absolutely blessed in germany that we have both Wirtz and musiala potentially leading that attack alongside Sané and gnabry who are still very young as well um, i mean the, the, the shortcomings of germany's talent production i think is very much overrated um, or the perceived shortcomings of Germany's talent production when you consider that there, there's a lot more players like that coming, emerging at the moment. But like for me, Musiala, like, I think the difference is that he plays for Bayern, right? Mm. And and I do think that when you listen to people like Nagelsmann and uh, people that are close at Bayern Munich, it, it's only a question of time for German Musiala to be a starting player there. Mm. And um, I think a lot of it has to do that they're very careful with the way they, they're playing him because, you know, he, he does... I think what difference between Wirtz and Musiala, and I think we're going to talk about Leverkusen in the moment, right? Because they are the team of the hour in German football in many ways. I think the difference is that when you watch Wirtz play and Musiala play, um, Musiala is a lot... seems a lot more fragile mm. in some ways, right? He's more of the one-on-one technical... He, he slows the game almost down to his own benefit in some ways, similar to Thomas Müller in his youth. And Wirtz is more of a go-through-the-wall kind of player, and his physical physical elements allow him to be. And yeah. I think so Leverkusen is a lot less worried to overplay Wirtz than they, Bayern is with Musiala because he seems a bit more fragile in some ways. And I think that's maybe a difference that you see, but... 
I personally think that, you know, look, um, when you look at, for example, Barcelona, where Petri or Ansu Fati and all those guys are playing because they have to. I mean, if Mamos Yala was playing at Barcelona, he'd be starting every single game. And mm. um, at Bayern Munich, he doesn't have to. I, I, and I think I think that's where you maybe see the difference between in the in the development where you have Musiala now, and uh, where Wirtz is right now is like a that they're playing at two different clubs, but b I think they're also they're not the same player, right? And I think you can throw Wirtz in, and you know that he's just going to be fine to play back to back games because I think he's just physically a different player. And yeah, he's Michael Ballack, isn't he? Yeah, I mean it's it's like. Wirtz just seems to have a power about him, a yeah. strength. And Do you know, he, he, I, I thought I was actually watching his goals today, and I thought he actually reminds me of Kaká, but he's more physical than Kaká. I mean, just yeah. the way he runs down the middle of the pitch, and maybe maybe Musiala's more like Kaká. Actually, he's more fragile. But yeah, I totally agree. Completely agree with what you said about the two players. Yeah, it's it's really interesting because like I finally had the pleasure to see Musiala play live in person, um, which is something that was actually on my to-do list a while ago already because, I, I, I again, I'm a huge fan. I think he's he's probably my favorite young player out there right now and not only in the Bundesliga, general period. And I, I think we're, in Germany, we're so very lucky that he opted to play for Germany rather than England because I think we're going to talk four or five years from now and he's going to be one of the world's best players. I, I really think that highly of him. And... Mm. Um, that's very fortunate. Joachim, if you are the only good thing that Joachim Löw has done in the last four years is to ensure that Musiala will play for Germany, because <laughs> the Eng- England is very blessed with a lot of very good players at the moment. Um, but they're all the same kind. They're all the yeah. same kind of player. They have a lot of Sancho's at the moment, right? And that was maybe the one player that they actually needed. And the fact that he, they didn't get him, that Germany ended up getting him, because at some point Germany will have to replace Thomas Müller. And Musiala is going to be that guy, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that that was... They should erect a statue for Joachim Löw just for doing that, to ensure that <laughs> he actually ensured... Like that's literally... That's the equivalent of winning the World Cup, because when Germany wins the World Cup with Musiala as the star player, we're going to thank him for it. And... Um, I think we, we're going to probably thank Joachim Löw in afterwards to, that he's done that because he didn't have to do that with Florian Wirtz and then maybe go into transition to Leverkusen because Florian Wirtz is very much a player of the hour in the gym in the Bundesliga and he's playing for the club that is now even on points with Bayern Munich. And do is it? I always struggle and I always find this so difficult to utter those words the German title in Bayer Leverkusen in one sentence. Because I've been burned too many times and I've seen them fail more often than anyone else. But I think, Stefan, we have to ask this question. Could Bayer Leverkusen challenge Bayern Munich for the title? Oh, it's a good question. You know, I'm I'm very hesitant to give a positive answer because the only thing in the back of my head is what happened last season when they were on such a good run of form. They come up against Bayern, I think it was just before the winter break. And Jonathan Tarr scores an own goal in the last minute of the game and all of a sudden Leverkusen's season is over. I've never seen anything quite like it, but that confidence that they had, they had the best defence in the league going into it, I think, or maybe they were joined with Bayern, maybe even above Bayern in the league. Shows how bad my memory is, I can't even remember, but they were up there and they went into that game and they played Bayern not off the park, but they went toe-to-toe with them and they looked good. 
in an own goal from Jonathan Talis minute, and that and the whole season just falls apart. And three three or four months later, the manager's been sacked. Huge turn turnover of players. That's how quickly things can change here. Um, but you know, I think the, the thing about Leverkusen, they're not a very popular team because obviously they're not classed as a you know traditional club with huge supporters. But from a kind of um, journalist point of view or a, someone who likes to pay attention to the league and writes about it I, I've always enjoyed Leverkusen because behind the scenes they're a very smart club you know they, they put a lot of effort into scouting huge amount of effort into the transfers huge amount of effort into player development they've always been a club that have been very good at developing young German players which I don't think they get enough credit for to be perfectly honest with you um, and then Dortmund buy them so uh, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, they're, um, they're very much Dortmund's farm team aren't they <laughs> yeah Unfortunately, so but you know, and again, they've done it again this season. They've put together a squad, you know, speaking to people at the club, they're very excited about this kind of crop of players. You know, they think they can do something with them, and I think that's the goal. They really desperately need to win something in a German Cup to go somewhere in the Europa League and then obviously challenge Bayern at the, in the Bundesliga. And you know, as much as we've seen from them, I thought they were very unfortunate against Dortmund. The only team that managed to beat them this season are Dortmund. That's because Erling Haaland just had an Erling Haaland game where he's scoring, he's creating goals. He almost single-handedly won that game for Dortmund. And I think Leverkusen went up three, went ahead three separate times in that match. So they certainly got pedigree in Moussa Diaby, in Florian Wirtz, maybe even Jesse Frimpong. They've got some of the best young players in the division. Uh, there's probably even more that I haven't even mentioned, like Paulinho, who are all very good players. Uh, Patrick Schick has developed into a great target man. The, yeah. the question will come down to what they can do against Bayern Munich. Last season, they maybe didn't look this good, maybe weren't as talented, but they looked really good. And then they came up against Bayern, and Bayern put them in their place. And you know their season fell apart after that, as if their confidence was just completely zapped from them. And coincidentally they're up against Bayern after this international break. So I'm really looking forward to see how they do in this game. Um, I'm not suggesting if they lose it, their season's over by any stretch of imagination, but if they really want to challenge Bayern, and this goes for obviously Dortmund or Leipzig or whoever else, you have to go into those games and say, right, we need to beat these guys because no one in the Bundesliga is going to beat Bayern to the title unless they can beat Bayern in individual games. Uh, and I think that's what Leverkusen have to do. And, and it's a testament to how well they're doing this season that we're having this conversation and asking yeah. if they can match Bayern, I think. Yeah, I think that match, obviously, on the Sunday, that's a 3.30 German time kickoff, 2.30 if you in the UK, um, 9.30 East Coast US, uh, 6.30 a.m. if you're on the West Coast like me. So that's going to be a really early start. <laughs> um it's too early to talk about title deciders, but I do think that there is a lot of weight on this game and where the season is going. And I think maybe the, the final point as we, we wrap up the show is I think for me, I think for Bayer Leverkusen, they had such an amazing run of results. They have looked like the Bundesliga team of, of the hour. In Florian Wirtz, they have probably the most watched player in the league who's not playing at Dortmund or Bayern, right? And in Patrick Schick, they're having a center forward who's scoring goals for fun. Moussa Diaby's just been called up to the French national team. I think, you know, that speaks volumes if you are Bayer Leverkusen and one of your players gets called up to the world champion squad. 
And um, what I like about them too, they have made some really good business decisions in defense as well. Pierre and Kabian, Konosu, who they also signed. And I think um, there is a lot there and there's a lot to watch there. And I think they've got the chemistry right. And uh, when you talk to people in Leverkusen, I think they have also one of the smartest smartest head coaches in Sione, who we haven't even really mentioned very much yep. either yet, right? And I think there is, there is a lot there. The question is, how will it stick up to Bayern Munich, to the best team in Europe at the moment, in my opinion, maybe the world? And that is going to be a massive test for them. And I, I, I'm going to put this out there right now. If they take two points or all three points of Bayern Munich, I'm going to put down Leverkusen as a title contender for the season. Mm. That's yeah. that's going to be me. But I want to watch this game and I want to see how they perform in that game. And I think that's my final point for the show, uh, Stefan, because I think we're out of time. Um, with that in mind, where can people find you and what do you want to point out to people before we head off? What do I want to point out? Oh, wow. Anything. Uh, <laughs> not much. Uh, as always, folk can get me on Twitter at sbeenkowski. Uh, if you follow Manu, if you follow the podcast, I'm sure you've seen my my Twitter handle and the tweets. Uh, and yeah, I do have a, a, a weekly newsletter as well every every Wednesday uh, for the most well, most Wednesdays. So if you, it's free. And if you're looking for some kind of, you know, quick newsletter in your inbox every Wednesday morning, then head over to my Twitter account. There's a big button on, the, on my profile that says subscribe. Hit it and hopefully you won't be disappointed. Yeah, give that, uh, check that out for sure. Give Stefan a follow. Give me a follow. I'm on Twitter at Manuel Vef, my name spelled together. Um, until I want to say next week, that's not true. We're going to be back after international break. So you guys are going to have us back after international break. Until then, auf Wiedersehen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.